Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. So those of you that are a little bit on the outside of the faith, this is something that I hope you could understand for those of us who are inside the faith. Often when we have this innate desire for more, more, more money, we usually will use sin to get it. Sin becomes such a a part of us that it's driven by this old man sin nature that's so much a part of us. We're so susceptible to a secular worldview that we, we feed off of that. And we have to have more and more and more and more and more. It's like we're more comfortable walking around the Millennial Mall than we are in a third world marketplace to share the gospel with someone. And so that's the difference. There's a sin thing in there. Well, I told you this is going to be my wrap my arms around you and I'm going to give you a feel-good message. I am more of the sign that says there's men of war out there. I'm more perhaps the lifeguard today to say I really love you and don't be like that stupid 12-year-old who got on the raft and got out there. So I'm speaking from someone who um, did not always follow the signs, but now do because of the consequences. So today the message is kind of boiled down to just two big topics. One is the cautions about desiring more and then the consequences of it. And my sweet wife says it's not those two points that get you, it's all those subpoints that Stan gives. All right, so there's going to be some subpoints. If I start rattling through this message and I'm going too fast for you to fill in the blanks, don't sweat that. Okay, don't worry about it. I missed a blank and missed a blank and shut down. Don't do that. Just listen to the message. I will help you fill in the blanks later on. In fact, you can call Carol at 2 in the morning, all right? And uh, she'll be home, I'm sure, all right? And she'll fill in the blanks. So what are the dangers of desiring more wealth? And I hope you have your Bibles open. We will kind of jump around other places in Scripture a little bit, but our main thought is to go through this passage in the time that we have. When I give you this passage, uh, well, let me get right into it. Number one, cautions against desiring wealth. All right, the reason I put cautions there, it's not to say that you can't desire wealth. All right, ambition is not wrong. In fact, the Old Testament says, seek great things for thyself, seek them not. All right, Um, but it's not saying don't seek them, just don't seek them improperly. Wrong motives, wrong reasons at the expense of violation of Scripture. So, to have that is not wrong. It's like uh, men who are in a church. Scripture says, uh, those who desire to be an elder desire a good work. Okay, it's not wrong to desire that as long as you're not desiring the position and the perks that go with it. You're desiring the work that goes with it. Okay, and so then it's not necessarily wrong. So I don't want you to think it's wrong, but there are cautions. Once you start having too strong of an ambition, that ambition can become a slippery slope if we're not careful. So here are some cautions. So the desire means the presence of discontent, right? The desire means the presence of discontentment. Generally, you want to get to something else because you're not quite as content here. Now, that's not always the case, but generally when I'm talking about desiring to get well is because there's a lack of contentment here. Now, I want you to look at the verse, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, but I want you to just park for a moment on the first word of verse 6. It says, but... Now, when you're doing Bible study, when you see the word but there, that's kind of a contrasting term. Here is a but because of something that happened earlier in the passage. So now I need you to give me your time for just a moment because I want to unpack where this passage of Scripture is found. Because once you know this, I think it'll help you have a better understanding of why I'm teaching this right here to you and me. 
So let's go. This uh, passage of Scripture has been uh, is part of a letter that the Apostle Paul had written to his protege, which would be Timothy, who was a pastor. Now, this wasn't just a great man writing to a younger great man. This was a great man who was inspired by Almighty God. So this is God's mind on paper that God gave to Paul, and it was so important that he was prompted then to write a letter to Timothy. Now, he wrote to Timothy... And probably one reason is, is because Timothy was the shepherd of the sheep of that church, knowing that he was in a position that he needed to communicate what that truth was to others. So it then again had that term I'm using, the trickle-down effect. Paul to Timothy, Timothy to the church people, throughout history through disciple-making to us today, so we own it, watch this, so we then disciple others, whether they're going to be a pastor or not, down the line. Now, in verses 1 through verse 5 of chapter 6, that little section there is dealing where Paul is telling Timothy about what is known as false teachers. These are teachers, and false teachers are false teachers because they're teaching that which is false, okay? So they're really not a teacher, they're a propagator of lies and error and damnable heresy. And so he's warning him of that. He says, this is what they look like, this is what they teach, this is what their motive is, and that's where this is. So the question is, is what are the motives of the false teachers that Paul was telling Timothy to be aware of in the faith family, as well as to teach to the people to be aware of that, what was the bottom line? The bottom line of those false teachers is that they were motivated by getting gain, whatever it is, reputation, money, resources, influence. They wanted something from their students, these false teachers wanted. And primarily, I think it's in the context of, of funding or money or silver or gold or something like that. So then they thought, I can get money out of these people based on how I teach. So then they taught various things with people who had itching ears. People who then would say or listen to whatever they really wanted to say because they knew that with people would come money, so they were affecting this. Let me say it even more simply. They were now teaching a false godliness. They themselves had false godliness. In other words, they had outward godliness, but not coming from the inside out. That false godliness with the idea of getting gain. So now, at the end of those five verses, you have the word but here. So now he says, that's all about those guys, but here's what I want to do. He says, I want to give you a parenthesis right now. While I'm telling you about these bad dudes that are out there, but this is what real godliness is as it relates to contentment and gold and all the rest. So again, that's given to Timothy to do what? Teach to the people. To do what? Disciple through the generations. To give it to us today through the written word, and then we take it to the next generation. And what is that? And that is the dangers of loving money. Are you with me so far? Okay. So now that's what he's saying when he says the word but there. And it begins with this, but godliness, and I'd like to throw in a parenthesis here, but true godliness, all right? And by the way, the word godliness there basically means a piety, a reverence, a sincere holiness, but godliness actually is a means of great gain. Now, sometimes it might, uh, if you have godliness, your gain will be that you'll use your money wisely. We're going to talk about how to get money biblically next week. After that, how to guard your money biblically, that's the week after that. The third and fourth time will be on how do you give your money biblically. So there is gain when you do it godly or biblically from the inside out. But I don't think necessarily he's talking about gaining money out of this. I think the whole context is talking about gaining the issue of a, of a deeper, intimate, fulfilling, rich life. In other words, I like to say you'll have fulfillment in your life and fruit in your life all because you're doing it right. That's the gain. I'll talk more about that in a moment this morning. So go on. So he says, but Godliness actually is a means of great gain when, and that's a word you want to underline, 
So it doesn't stop there. It's when something happens. It happens when it's accompanied by contentment. Say that word out loud with me, will you? Contentment. It's hard to say, contentment! You know, it's not a word like that. Contentment is like, contentment. You know, it's a relaxing word. And it really should be. Because people who are not content, they're flappable about everything. They're wringing their hands. They're worried about this. Don't look at the paper. What's going to happen? How's my money? You know, there's that lack of contentment. So contentment is that, that ability, no matter what's going on on the outside, you're like that duck. You know, under the water, you might be paddling real fast, but above you just look so calm, all right? Well, with a biblical-driven person, it's going to be calm above and calm below because you know the calm giver, which is the Lord. So that's that contentment. Now notice again in the passage, he says, for we brought nothing into the world, so therefore we cannot take anything out of it either. I like it. You could write in your margin, Job, when he said, naked uh, came I into the world from my mother's womb, naked will I return thither. Basically return there dead, not back into the womb again. Then he says, if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. So maybe you could take your pen and um, circle the word contentment and content. Draw a line between the two because the thought here is my godliness has to come with a contentment. And when I see contentment, it's not just a life that is unflappable. I'm going to expand a little bit. I believe it is a life that believes that whatever I have comes from the Lord and I'm satisfied with that. Whatever He provides for me, I'm going to be acceptable of that. That doesn't mean I sit down underneath a, a palm tree drinking coconut juice and not doing anything, waiting for God to drop, drop money out of the sky. But it does mean I am not driven by money and not driven by what money is going to give me. It's driven by whatever I have. God can give it to me. God can take it away. It all belongs to Him. Whatever I have, I'm going to use it for His glory. And however I get it, that's next week we're going to learn, I'm going to do it biblically because then I can sleep at night because I did it the right way. So that's what this passage is talking about. So cautions against desiring well. The desire means the presence of discontentment. When I want more, I'm sometimes driven by that discontentment spirit. Let's go to the next bullet point. The desire also leads to more evil. So again, when I go beyond ambition into something that's beyond biblical ambition, then I really want more, but it could lead me into that, uh, I guess you would say, more evil, that slippery slope. Look, if you will, at the verse now, verse 10. It says, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. What you want to put in your margin is something like this. This passage refutes the phrase that says, Money is the root of all evil. It's not. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Please understand that money is like a tool again. All right? Not a toy, it's not a weapon, but it's a tool. But it's the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. So somehow mark that in your Bible. So it's not just one evil. It's all different kinds of evil. And sometimes when you start here, it goes here, it goes here, it goes here. It's like I, 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 I lie to people here. I steal their money there. I have to cover up and do more deceit. And then I'm getting ready to be found out. They're going to turn me in. So I'm going to either marginalize or murder that person, hoping that I won't be found. So now I've got to do. And so now it's all sorts of evil that's involved. And if it's not done outwardly, Christians... It's certainly done inwardly. And when it's all done inwardly, the hate, the anger, the manipulation, that's just as if we've done it outwardly as a Christian. The Bible says that. So there's all sorts of evil. It just leads to it. It's that terrible, slippery slope that happens when we avoid that 
I, um, I told you when I began the story about this guy who got on this raft, remember? And I got stung and I said, I thank the Lord for that. I could thank him that I wasn't blinded by it. I could thank the Lord that it wasn't so bad that it changed the rhythm of my heart and created lifelong or death situation. But I'd like, I'd like to say this. I'm glad it happened the first time I did that within the first 15 minutes because it started earlier in my life to really cause me to be cautious of signs that are out there in my life. All right? So some people, they'll say, ah, I only got stung here. I won't get stung so bad. I'll be more careful the next time and the next time and the next time. And then finally, it's the end of their life. So it really has horrible consequences. Let's look at the next bullet point. This one is a little out of 1 Timothy, but hold your place in 1 Timothy because we have to go back there. There's a lot more in that passage that I haven't opened up yet that I want to. This desire never gets satisfied. I wanted you to know that um, you, you have the desire for more. As soon as you get more, however you got that more, um, you're, you're going to say, oh, I got this, but I'd like to have a little more. I'll have a little more. I'll have a little more. I'll have a little more. And look at Ecclesiastes 5.10, and it says this, He who loves money, which is the context of First Timothy, will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. Maybe this illustration will help you. You've heard of people that, um, for whatever reason, they had a boat wreck, a shipwreck, they're abandoned out at sea, and they got into a, a regular two or three, four-man raft, and maybe the only one there. And they were days in the blistering hot sun. And the little bit of water that they had is now gone. No rain, no clouds, no nothing. And they are so desperately thirsty, more than any of you that have been mowing the yard or sweating hard because you're running a marathon or something. I mean, you are just in excruciating thirst. Two things generally happen. They will either drink the seawater or they'll drink their own urine. And the first thing they think of is, I'll drink the seawater first. That's probably the worst thing that they could do. Because drinking that salty water only makes you what? More thirsty. And of course, all the other stuff that's in it. And that's that fleeting object of wealth when we want more and more and more and we think we're really satisfied. Which goes full circle. You need to settle. When is enough enough? doesn't mean when is enough and I quit working, but what is enough for us? What is that? And you and your family and your Lord, discuss that so you'll have that spirit of contentment. Here's another caution. The, the desire separates man from God. I, you have to have that in there. Because any time that you are taking your choices apart from the, the Word of God, whenever you choose any form of a secular worldview away from a biblical worldview, obviously... That's going to separate you from God. Matthew 6.24, No man can serve two masters, for either he'll hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And now would be a good time for us to remind ourselves of the two great commandments. What's the first of the two great commandments? That we are to what? Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. That means everything you have, you love Him. And then you transfer that love by loving others, but not with your love, but with His love, because He loves them. But nowhere does it say to love things. Mostly love God, certainly love His Word, and then maybe to love others for the purpose of them falling in love with God. I made a list here of people in the Bible who really had a problem with that. 
Achan lost his life and the life of his family because of it. Joshua 7. You don't know the story? Read Joshua 7. Balaam experienced the Lord's discipline in his life for it in Numbers 22 and 31, and later on he was killed. Delilah ruined a potentially great leader because of it, Judges 16. Ananias and Sapphira lost their lives because of it. I know they lied to the Holy Spirit and all of that, but what was before all of that? Probably greed. And then you have our poster boy of all greed. Who would that be? Judas Iscariot. And then I put in my notes, Dan, could I be considered in this notorious group of money-grubby people? Because I have to check myself. You know, we all have needs. We all want to do things. And it's so tantalizing out there. And having the things that money can buy appear so elusive, like a mirage, that we think it's really great and we get there. And just a little further, just a little further, just a little further. Well, let's talk about the consequences of it. The consequences of desiring more wealth or the desire for more wealth can lead people to the following. I spoke about this earlier, but I need to unpack it now. We become ignorant of what is true gain. We become ignorant. And I'd like you to circle the phrase true gain because that's what happens. We, we think that that money or what money can buy or the people who have it that have all that money, that I can be a part of all of that. We think we finally gained it if we have all of that when we really miss it. So what would be some of the true gain? Well, first of all, godliness with contentment, learning to be content with what I have and how important that that is for us. Look at the verse. It says, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Hey, I was doing some research of some wealthy people and what they had to say about money and contentment. And here's what I came up with. You'll know most of these names, although I don't think any of you have met these people. I know I haven't. One of them was uh, John D. Rockefeller, and he once said, I have made millions, but they have brought me no happiness. Cornelius Vanderbilt added, the care of millions, meaning money, is too great a load. There is no pleasure in it. Millionaire John Jacob Astor described himself as the most miserable man on the earth. Despite his wealth, even Henry Ford once remarked, I was happier doing mechanics work. And then finally, Rockefeller again commented, the poorest man I know is the man who has nothing but money. So there's a lack of contentment. Now this is not a manipulation for you to say, I don't want any more money, therefore I don't need any more money, uh, and I'm just going to, again, just hang around and be a bum. That's not really where we're going. That's why you need to be back here next week, unless you want me to preach it now. We'll just stay till 2 o'clock, okay? But I don't think so. I want you to be back because there is the right idea of working hard, getting money. God wants us to do that. The work ethic, all that's part of it. So bring your young people, especially next week, if you will. All right? Godliness with contentment. Now I want you to see eternal riches as something else they're ignorant of. The eternal riches of it. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. And then he tells them to do something. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. Most of us think a good foundation of the future is going to be a college education. And so you go to Europe or you go to Asia, their families are practically verbally abusing them, if not physically abusing their children to hit the books, hit the books, hit the books, hit the books. The high suicide rate 
among students in Asia because they made a A minus. I'm not making this up to make my point. Just read this. We've lived in the Asian culture for over a decade. We know the stress on those kids. And then you get those kids, they go through that process, they now get a job, and look at the amount of hours that people in Japan are working. And their bosses are making them work. And then I could throw in North Korea under the bus with all with their people. So again, I'm saying that it's not all of that. Instruct them to be good. The foundation is character. The foundation is Christ's character in us. So that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. It's that character that's inside of them. It's putting your head on the pillow at night without guilt, here it is, and without worry. Because you, in context, you did right. You had character of goodness within you. Not just rich, not just running after money. Here's the uh, third one here, and I wanted to look at this one for a moment. They're ignorant of what is true gain, godliness with contentment now, eternal riches, but also a simpler lifestyle. They miss that. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. What should we be content with? Food and covering. Now, covering could mean clothes. I think it, you might, it, by extension, could be housing. You know, and I don't mean you know popcorn palaces that you live in. You don't even know they're just opulent. But at the same time, something to cover you. But more just food and covering. Uh, just the basic needs of life. So why don't you write that in your margin? If we have the basic needs of life, we should be content with those. I read an article recently how retired people are now looking at their life and they say we have so much stuff, so they're selling their houses, they're buying a small RV, and they're going around the country doing mission work until they can't drive any longer. That's a simple lifestyle. How many of you have ever been up to Pennsylvania and you're sitting there and you're thinking, oh, those Amish people, what a simple life they have. You probably have said that. Now, I'm not trying to say you all be Amish people and get buggies. But what I am saying is, though, that I believe Scripture is talking about that simple lifestyle because sometimes we get the things and the things have us. You follow me? And so, again, when do we have enough? The simple lifestyle. Well, what's another consequence? And that would be becoming sinfully entrapped by deception and temptation. It says here, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation. Now, you want to understand, there's, this, there's three different phrases in this entire passage. Here they are. Love money, long after money, and want riches. So I want you to know, they're really hammering an attitude within you. This is a very unusual type of word for want here. This is more of not just an emotion, well, I really want to get a, 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 an ice cream cone this afternoon. It's not that kind of want. It's not just fleshy little emotional thing. It's the wantingness. It's the planning this. It's the desiring for this. It's the plotting for this. I want that. And you know the difference between that little desire of something and I want that. You know what it means to love. The word love there, loving money, it's a different word. It's the idea of having affection for silver, so to speak. So it is attached to something. And I could take you back to the Old Testament and why the Lord told him to destroy these idols that had gold and silver on all of them. You know, just to get that away from you, he was saying. And then the idea of longing for something. That's an unusual word too. Longing isn't like, why well, really long or pine? 
It's the word stretch or to reach for something so much you want to have, you got to get that. It'd be like, um, have, you, have you ever been driving down the highway? Don't listen to me, you police officers here. You're driving down the road and you realize you, you left your phone in your book bag or whatever, your backpack, and it's in the back seat. So you're trying to get it out there because you don't have Bluetooth to tell it what to do, you know, and you're reaching all around. You gotta have that. Even at the expense of your life, your car, and all those that are around you on the highway. All right? I know that. You know that. How many agree with that? That's happened to you at least once in some measure. Say, uh huh. Well, that was loud. Okay, I got that. Well, that kind of line is, I got to have that, is what he's speaking about here. And that makes us sinfully entrapped in it. Go back to the passage. Who want to get rich, fall. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Make it clear.